back to the Minute Women podcast. My name is Grace. And I'm Linnea. And today we have some very special guests with us. All the way from the North of Normal podcast, give it up for Spencer and Hunter. Yay! We are here. Thank you for celebrating the start of season three with us. Yeah, it's a big deal, big show, big excitement. And Grace has informed me that we have a theme. So, yes. Not for season three, I've been told. Not for season three, just for the month of November. So, There's a lot of war heritage minutes, and they're kind of a bummer to do, (laughs) but given that November 11th is Remembrance Day, Mm -hmm. we do have an episode that comes out on November 11th, I thought that we would like use this month to kind of go through some different parts of Canada's military history to kick off season three with a bit of like a a little mini series. For sure. I love that. Yeah. So we're going to do some different military, uh, different military heritage minutes for the podcast podcast. i love it yeah that's great but i also knew that so we'd have the boys from north of normal with us who have a super fun uh cinema canadian cinema podcast we were on their podcast a little while ago in like july i think yeah it was hot i remember it was very (laughs) warm am i like i'm sweating too much for like any kind of polite company so hunter and i are just like We'll just leave the fan on. I right? remember. Like, we don't care about the background noise. Right. We're just like, no, we're going to do this. And there's cars driving by. And, oh, so yeah. if anybody listens to that episode, yeah. I do apologize for the sound quality of that episode. But as Spencer was saying, I just felt like we couldn't have guests yeah. over and be like, we're going to close all the windows and turn off the fan. Well, we kind of, we, we care about the comfort yeah. of our guests yes. when you are recording. We did. Recording in our living room. And I remember it was you know. super funny because we got there and we brought you guys beer, but you guys, as soon as we walked in, were like, do you want a glass of water? Here, have some water. water. And we just like, like, oh, we brought we're like, beer. Oh, like, we'll just drink all this water. But it's because I think you guys were like hyper concerned that it was like really warm. It was, it was very warm. And it was also like, you two were like some of the first people we had over since COVID as well. I think so, you were the first oh, guests. Yeah. yeah that after we had, things started opening yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, like Hunter and I have a house. And so we're always just kind of like in and out. And luckily things yeah. have been good in this province. Yeah. But it was just like, okay. And it's just like, oh, hi. And like go to Shake Hats. It's like, uh, not to here. The washroom's here. Would you mind washing your hands? Yeah, <laughs> we did. Like, oh, yeah, and, right, I, yeah. and also I remember that that was the pre, the small, very short pre-mask period in Nova Scotia. So it was yeah, like things like open, one month. but you didn't have to wear a mask. And yes. so it was like, things were just very weird. It was like this very like hyper germy weird world <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, you could go into places, but it was like people didn't want to, and it was a lot of hand washing, but, uh, but we made it through. We pulled out an episode with you guys and yeah. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. And now we're going to kind of do it again, we're but except on this. our end just and so they brought us know. cider, which was great. Just to let you guys know, it is now, I think, our second or third most downloaded episode. Yes. Aw, that's so yes. nice. That's and what I said. I think it's third, yeah, most downloaded. And that was information given to me like a month ago. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. It was super fun to record. We recorded for like three, hours, three hours, which yes. I am like, the fact that you trimmed it down to like, I think... An hour, an hour and twenty, or hour and oh yeah, like I, it was, in, it was in something like that. It was like in like an eighty minute episode, and I was just like, so much gold is on the floor. But uh. it's just like, there's hilarious like this, this stories. I wanted to like hold on to them because <laughs> I wanted to be like part of like a minute women special at one point. Tales where it's just from like the tales from the minute women, <laughs> oh, that's right? Funny. When Grace met Linnea, you know, just oh, like kind yeah. of have like all these stories yeah. in the background. Mark has some. Mark has some gold on the cutting room floor, but Mark also has some trash on the cutting room floor. Yeah. 
It's mostly us like sneezing into tissues. <laughs> yeah. Not a Flynn. Uh, Winter's Flynn, rough yeah. for us. Winter was yeah, it's a rough time. <laughs> we're moving into the dark days. Yeah. It literally, because this is this is daylight savings yeah. day. Right after yeah. Halloween, we're all in a bit of a recovery mode. Oh, yeah, yes. it's November first today, recording this episode, and uh, yeah, Halloween last night, time change, full moon, yeah. and uh, yeah, and Halloween. So it's just a wild, spooky, wild spooky. evening. Yeah. <laughs> spooky uh, season's over. Shout out to the two group costumes that were here. Oh, we yes. had uh, we had like a Smash Brothers thing going yes. on for the men and women. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Hunter and I did the lighthouse. It was, it was so good. They are co- any everyone should go on like the North of Normals like social medias. Did you guys post one there? Yes. yes. Okay. Good. Yeah, cause because it's so, good. Reference, it's so good with the reference photo. Likewise, I felt, oh. like, I felt like I could get away with doing that on because we had done an episode on the lighthouse. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So 100%. just as a sort of oh, thing, yeah. we posted us awesome. last night. And it does yeah. nothing to do with history. So. Oh, but it was it's awesome. like look at us in costumes. Yeah, we look. Don't we look nice and cute? <laughs> Well, yeah. I'll have I've, depending on what episode this is, I might have a story that involves that game. Oh, I'm see. excited! See. All right. Speaking of which, do you guys? So you kind of have a bit of a clue, but do mm. you want to guess what minute I chose? Okay, for, well, it's not Minarski. So it's not Minarski. Which no, is we've already awesome. done him. I now know. <laughs> I I can guess that Spencer will do most of the talking this episode. But depending. I think no. it's the guy who jumps on top of the bomb with his helmet. The grenade. Yeah, the, it's that not Osborne in Hong Kong. Uh, John's John Osborne, yes. Yeah. Sergeant not Major. Good guess though. Because that guy, the guy who's in that episode, uh, or in that Heritage Minute, he uh he is was at Neptune too. So I saw him a couple oh, times at Neptune. Cool. Oh, okay. yeah. Very interesting. Is it the Peacekeepers one? Can I yell go home, go home over and over again? It's not Peacekeepers. Oh. Is that gonna be my Bella contribution? Road? Spencer what was your guess? Bella Road? No. Oh. We are doing Tommy Prince. Tommy Prince. Who I believe I do not know who right deserves on. a full feature film oh, about his 100%. life. 100%. Because he is kind of like Canada's Rambo. Like the man's military career is Linnea, insane. Just to let you know, the format of this podcast is that she will tell you. Oh, <laughs> right. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot we don't where I was. Off, we don't know where we are. I just, uh, I just got so confused. <laughs> still, I knew was, I had a feeling oh, right, it was going to be Manitoba the podcast. military. And that was it. <laughs> I'm on a podcast. <laughs> wait, wait, okay. This isn't like our podcast that there's no formula whatsoever. It's pretty cut and dry what happens here. This is a civilized podcast, damn it. There are rules. We're all excited. I love that Spencer is saying that as he is fully dressed like an English dad. Like, Spencer is wearing a tweed jacket, I like a cashmere sweater underneath with a button-up and then, like, a tie. He looks lovely, but, like, He looks also, quite lovely. He also has a haircut since the last time that we recorded with them. Do you? Yeah. You had quite oh, yeah. a bit of hair then. Uh, yeah, I go back and forth from kind of like trying to look nice and do something with my hair and then just buzzing <laughs> it all. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Me too. Anyways. Anyways. Not the topic <laughs> of this topic. episode. Today we are doing Tommy Prince. So let's get into um, it. Yeah. So Tommy Prince was born in a canvas tent in Petersfield, Manitoba mm-hmm. in October 1915. And he was one of 11 children born to Harry and Elizabeth Prince of the Broken Head Band of the Ojibwe. Oh, okay. So he's an indigenous person. Okay. When he was five, his family moved from the or to the Broken Head Reserve, which is now the Broken Head Ojibwe Nation in Scatterbury. And Prince was a survivor of the residential school system. Yeah. So, by the way, not a happy episode. Yeah. <laughs> that is the one thing about the theme for this month. It's yeah. not going to be particularly be uplifting. <laughs> That's why... Little plug in here. We have a live show, which we'll talk more about at the end of the episode. Oh, yeah, but that's going to give us some joy in November, <laughs> for sure. 
So he was a descendant of Pegui, the Salto chief. A prominent leader of his people, Pegui became famous for his role in aiding the Selkirk settlers or the first white settlers of the Red River area. Upon their arrival at Red River in 1812, Pegui defended them, showed them how to subsist from the country, and later assisted the survivors after the Seven Oaks incident, a violent confrontation in the Pemmican War between the Hudson's Bay Company and the Northwest Company. So he comes from like a long line of very prominent um, Ojibwe men mm. and women. Okay. Um, if I may just say, the Battle of Seven Oaks is the funniest Canadian battle ever. Oh, yeah? Okay. I actually, I didn't know that much about it. So what happens is it's a bunch of, um, it's a bunch of Scottish settlers who are like, okay, we're <laughs> going to go and we're going to face down all these Métis. Now, Métis had been fighting on the plains, not only as buffalo hunters, but against other indigenous groups on the plains yeah. for supremacy uh, over certain buffalo stocks or bison stocks. Hilariously... <laughs> They pulled the oldest ruse in the book, and they just played possum after the first volley. So <laughs> all these all these Red River settlers, all these Scotsmen, fire off a volley. I think it was Miles Mack was there, and he was a big wig in the colony at the time. They're like, "Yeah, we got him!" Woo! And then they got up and they fired back, and they killed like a like a handful <laughs> of them. Like, which is that is it? And they're like, "Oh God, no, they're actually not dead." So that's one of the funniest. Just like, seeping, just laying down, right? having a snooze. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. We're just hiding in the tall grass. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, if you want to, I guess if you want to beat Scots, just like lay on the ground for 30 seconds. <laughs> They're easy to trick. <laughs> I'm, half, I'm half Scottish and it tricks me every time. Hunter <laughs> <laughs> like, does that all the time. Yeah, all the time. All the yeah. time. Uh, Hunter's like, why haven't you done the dishes? And I just pass out on the couch for a second. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, now, now I guess like, I got to do the oh dishes. Oh my God, he's dead. <laughs> he's dead. So the Brokenhead Reserve on the outskirts of Winnipeg, where Tommy grew up, was not the same in 1915 as it had been in 1871 when Queen Victoria, under Treaty No. 1, set it aside for the Ojibwe tribe in perpetuity. Uh, Winnipeg was expanding. The urbanity scared away wildlife for hunting and polluted the waters for fishing. It also forced the Salto people to be increasingly cramped together. Despite this, Tommy still learned to be a superb marksman and an excellent tracker on the reserve. His father, a hunter and trapper himself, taught Tommy everything he knew. Cool. So from a very early age, he's learning how to be sneaky. Yeah. He's a sneaky guy. He's a sneaky little bugger. (laughs) So at five years old, Tommy began attending the Elkhorn Residential School designed to corrode Tommy and the other children's indigeneity. Tommy told Mackenzie Porter in an interview for McLean's magazine, I learned a bit about farming science and a bit about machinery. Nice. (laughs) Some good takeaways. (laughs) Some good takeaways from school. As a teenager, Tommy wanted to be a lawyer, but his father explained to him that they neither had the money to send him to law school, nor would any law school accept an indigenous person with a residential school education. Woof. Which is the point. Yeah. Of having residential schools. schools. (laughs) Systemic racism. Tommy came to realize there was only one job that made the feeling of discrimination diminish, and it was one with a gun in his hand. As a teen, he joined the Army Cadets. Quote, I liked being in the cadets at Elkhorn. As soon as I put on my uniform, I felt like a better man. I even tried to wear it in the classroom. 
So just trying to wear it everywhere. He just really liked it. It's like a little boy on a t-ball team. He wants to wear his uniform to bed. But those are the old ones. Those are nice and wool. It's a nice weave. They're they're beautiful beautiful uniforms. I've got to imagine. It's also, yeah, in in Manitoba winters. I think you want every layer possible. To be fair, I used to have old wartime uh, army pants. I would wear them as snow pants. Because yeah. they're just, they're wool. Like, I was going to say, else you want? of that course you did, Spencer. This does not surprise me. <laughs> Surprising no one. Back home, we wear Dosco suits, which are like... What's a Dosco suit? They're the old steel plant <laughs> suits. Yeah, okay. Big old, like, uh, steel uh, yeah. plant coveralls. Grace also... Becomes your snowsuit. So, last night, we were celebrating <laughs> oh, no. Halloween, and Grace and her brothers were all there. Oh, yeah. And Grace's younger brother, <laughs> God love him, shout out to Colum. Um, he goes... Uh, he goes, uh, are there any fireworks tonight? <laughs> and I look at him and go, what? And eight, and then all the McNuts are like, oh, no, no, no. Like, no, no, no. Like, shh. Small child, stop. <laughs> You're outing And us. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, uh, it Cape Breton, there's always fireworks on Halloween. And then, and then your brothers are like, and Christmas, and Thanksgiving, <laughs> and Valentine's Day. <laughs> and like, I'm like, what? Yeah. What crazy world? And then Grace's older brother was like, any excuse for people to blow shit up? You know, like, that's (laughs) Kate Breton. At the age of 16, when he left school to work as a lumberjack, Tommy had only reached grade eight. So he's making a career move. He's like, I think I need to work in the woods. I wear a lot of plaid. I need to go be with a beard. (laughs) Just me and my beard and an axe. My beard, my axe, and all this forest. Yeah. But at 100 yards, he could put five bullets through an area as big as a playing card. So he has that going for him as well. He's a sharp shooter. He's a sharp shooter. This marksmanship served him well through the Depression years. When he grew (laughs) tired of looking for odd jobs or was short on cash, he could always just go up north with an old gun and take a deer. Hell yeah. (laughs) So he also, he loved to tell of his prowess of hunting in taverns, um, but one time he was thrown out of a beer parlor because he was indigenous, and there's a long prohibition against indigenous peoples. So to deal with this, he grew a mustache. Uh, the waiters took me for a Frenchman, and I was never thrown out again. Hashtag Louis oh. Riel. So it turns out, just grow a mustache if you don't want to get thrown out of bars. Uh, I, would just, I would just say grow a mustache anyway, but that's just <laughs> To note, Spencer is sporting quite a mustache right quite, now. Quite <laughs> I, I, trimmed a stash. A, I trimmed a good bit off. I was like It was 100. quite curled in your photo yesterday. Quite, like, the tips yeah. up. Yeah. So I, I think, like, this is Tommy's origin story. Like, I'm pacing this as if it were a movie. This is, like, act one. Okay. First half of Act One, maybe. Okay. So we'll shut up and let you get origin. To it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Let's get to the meat and bones of it. No, absolutely. Please interrupt me. That's where the fun is. <laughs> so at the outbreak of World War II, Tommy volunteered to fight with the Canadian Army, and although he easily met the requirements for recruitment, he was turned down several times. Indigenous people faced widespread discrimination from the armed forces, and that likely played a role in his rejection. However, in 1940, at the age of 24, Tommy finally managed to successfully enlist in the Army. He began his military career as a sapper with the Royal Canadian Engineers on home guard duty in England. His duty was to uh, basically guard a dump. So he's like, a like, real, like garbage? Like a garbage dump. That's his home front duty. Which is so bizarre because one of the best Canadian snipers of the First World War was also Indigenous. 
Oh, really? Well, this is just, I don't. No, but if you think about it, and I mean, I don't, Grace is definitely more of the expert on indigenous and aboriginal affairs. I've just studied it. She's just studied it. But but. I would say if you kind of look at um, just like the hunting and trapping aspect, doesn't it make sense that you would, that, you know, in your like upbringing and your heritage and like your culture, if, if you're like aboriginal, you would, if you had like grown up like that hunting and trapping always, that you'd have a better idea of how to use like weaponry like I know it's different but like just the idea of like setting your sights on like a target and being able to uh and being able to like field craft field craft like wouldn't you just it wouldn't that kind of be not like I know it's not genetics but like wouldn't that just be like something kind of more ingrained into you yeah and I, I also think there's probably an element of like uh, this sounds extremely callous, but like hunting animals is not that much different from hunting people. No, it's no, like, and that's what I'm saying. I guess that's what I'm saying without saying experience. That. There's in. a there's a great book called On Killing, and in it they talk about how everyone who talks about um, killing someone in combat, it's like killing a deer. They feel the same yeah. kind of remorse. sensation of it's well, a not, remorse and yeah, it's a sickness, it's, and it's like you do it and it feels the same way. I'm not saying that killing a deer is ethnically or ethically or morally the same as killing a human. Yeah. But it, that's but mechanically, it's mechanically. We just watched thing. a great episode. Grace and I have started watching. Well, Grace has already watched it all, but I've been watching departures, Love which is a great show. show about two awesome. If guys. you ever want Canadian nostalgia for like 2007, watch the show. Departures. Yeah, if you ever want to see men being vulnerable, <laughs> so Canadian, so Canadian boys growing into men, go watch departures. Yeah. Uh, but they, if Scott and Justin and Andre ever wanted to be on this podcast, they have an, like an eternal. We're like, here invite. for it. <laughs> we are here for it. Andre, you too. Absolutely. Yeah. Always. Uh, But there is an episode where I forget where they were, but uh, they do go on a pig hunting expedition. Cook Islands. Cook Islands. And he's talking about, uh, like, one of the cast is talking about how when they went on this pig hunting expedition, like, killing the pig, how he thought that it would feel different than it did. But it was just, like, such a systematic, like, this is your target. This is what you're doing. This is what you do. This is how you, like, kill the pig. And so, like, he's like, it didn't even really register to me. He's like, it didn't yeah. feel like when you're in the moment, like, when you're doing this this yeah. cultural experience with these people who have been doing it for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. He's like, it just, it just feels like it's, like, a natural, like, task that you're set to do. Yeah, and I think it's just, like, if you've grown up hunting your whole life, you're probably more comfortable in that position in 100%. another context. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Um, and I will also say at this point that I think Tommy Prince needs to be added to the Minute Women Hall of Fame of hunks. Because no. the boy is extremely good looking. Pictures are didn't so, happen. Let me see. Sorry, this may not be a relatable content. But can you appreciate a good looking man? Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> well, can here you we go. All right. So can, this is him and his I? brother in uniform. Mm-hmm. So that's that's Tommy, and this is his younger brother. Oh, I've, I grew up guy, surrounded yeah. by pictures of him. He's Which one's Tommy, his... right or left? Tommy is the shorter one. Yeah. Oh, hello, Tommy. He's so cute. Am and I right? He is a he cute is. little happy. Look at those cheeks. I Ooh, know. I just want to squeeze him. And he also looks like he's like kind of like kind of like thick fit. Uh, yeah, like I, I like think, that. like just imagine him <laughs> in uniform guarding the dump every day, like in England. That's him. Yeah. That's, he that's, would probably, and he'd be like the guy who, like, if a little kid walked by and was like, "Hi, Mister," he'd like take the time to say hi. Absolutely, love that. Yeah. <laughs> 
So for two years, uh, this kind of monotony hung heavily on him. He doesn't like what he's doing. Mm. Uh, his nights consisted of uh, essentially being an exotic oddity to the locals. Right. In a pub, yeah. sooner or later, some Englishman would approach him and be like, are you a real red Indian, Tommy said. Ooh. And Tommy would nod, and the Englishman would add, I've never met a real red Indian before. <sighs> My children would be awfully interested. Will you come to tea on Sunday? <laughs> would he go? What year would this no. have been? So this is yeah, this is like the forties. So yeah. he serves in on the home front in England from nineteen forty. So you got to think like this is peak, like John Ford. Oh, this you is know? peak. This is like no, Peter John- Pan times where yes. the whole movie yeah, Peter exactly. Pan. There's like a song about like the Red Indian. No, band. but I'm just saying like John Ford, John Wayne. Oh yeah, like a hundred percent. This is it's Western. Giving, they're huge. Yeah. Like. Everything is being filtered through these Hollywood films. And oh, most 100%. Of the ingestion yeah. of what Native culture would be would be through these movies, you know? Yeah, Hell exactly. Yeah. Like these John Ford-type Westerns, you yeah. know? That yeah. yeah. They vary in quality, but still, that's what most people would know. Yeah. Yeah, and it's definitely this sense that it's like something that's exotic that is there for your consumption. Exactly. Yeah. Not like, well, this is a person. No, and it's also he's... <laughs> It just like I think from a general point of view, as we just discussed, he's a good looking young man. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so like looks more approachable. Yeah, he's trim, he's in his uniform. Yeah. Like yeah, I think people would be like okay and going yeah. up. To Obviously him. the Canadian military trusts him enough to watch a dump, like exactly. so we can trust him with our children. <laughs> that picture's an older picture too. That's not him at this time, because he's sergeant in that picture. Oh really? Yeah. So that's gotta be later. That might even that's from him later in the war, or maybe he served in Korea as well. Oh, okay. Right? So that might be later on. Sorry, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler alert. Spoiler. Spencer's a good guest, though. If I gotta, if I gotta say this though, I feel for my boy Tommy. Nothing's worse than like, um, joining and then going somewhere, and it's like, sweet. Uh, well, we don't know what to do with you, so no. we're just gonna have you stand here and check IDs, and you do that all day for three months straight. <laughs> Oh, was this oh, no. from experience? This, this it was might, a dark time. This may, time. may not be from experience. <laughs> a dark time. A dark time. Life. <laughs> so Tommy was tired of being merely a curiosity, and he was scared that he'd never get to serve at the front. In 1942, however, his opportunity arose. Part 1 orders were called in 1942 for volunteer paratroopers, and Tommy was an early volunteer. He wound up being one of nine selected from hundreds who attended the paratrooper training in Manchester. So this is also like, like the scariest thing you can possibly do. Paratrooper, like parachute. Yeah. So this is like Band of Brothers. Like if you watch Band of Brothers. Oh, I I, I have. If if I may, Band of Brothers, like 101st Airborne in that, like cool respect, Mm -hmm. but like. British paras are still like the para. If you're a para, that's huge. Like yeah. to yeah. those to the, to the Brits, that like nothing compares to that except for like SAS. Really, when it comes yeah. to like British Army and just stuff you can join off the street. And for those of us who don't know what SAS is, uh, it's the Special Air Service, which yeah. also oh. formed during the Second World War. But they I were did actually Patrol, know yes. that, but I, I could it. tell that you did, I did it. it. I'm so. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. They did the SAS um, came to prominence in the '80s as a counterterrorist. I know you work for oh, the Coast I Guard. I know they're all about acronyms, but can you please just like say it out loud for all of us? Yes, the minimum progress so. is called is about dumbing it down. This is not the M W W or. Minute. The MWP. That would be our acronym. We got there. Uh, yeah. LNG with the MWP. Now, can I get the phonetic alphabet, please? Oh, um, I can do it. Um, but not right now. 
<laughs> Not Mike right Whiskey now. Papa? Mike Whiskey Papa. Yeah. yeah. Ooh. Mm. That's kind of funny. Actually. Which I, I always like thought it was microphone, but it's not. <laughs> just Mike. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. just, just Mike. Not even microphone, not Michael. <laughs> just Mike. <laughs> just Mike. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he's one of nine selected out of hundreds who attended the paratrooper training. During assault exercises, which followed the drop, it was noticed that he had a natural instinct for the ground. He could wriggle forward on his belly with agility and take advantage of a 12-inch depression in an otherwise flat field to conceal himself completely. He was a magnificent shot. He also had the survival skills to live out in the open. For the first time, his peers were willing to treat him based on his merit and not on his race. Yes, buddy, go, get it. That being said, (laughs) Tommy often took the opportunity to poke fun at his comrades' naivete about indigenous peoples. So whenever mail would arrive from his dad, he would always joke and say, I've got a smoke signal from the chief. (laughs) (laughs) So good. And then all of the white guys would go, uh, and then they'd go, uh, huh. Ha ha ha. You made a joke. It's just like, I think he's joking. I think. And then they look for smoke signals. Yeah, so. it's like, but also my kids would be really interested in meeting you. But also come over to tea on Sunday. <laughs> in September 1942, he was flown back to Canada to join the 1st Canadian Parachute Battalion. By March 1943, he was sergeant. With pride, he got to visit the reserves around Winnipeg, wearing three stripes, wings, and a maroon beret. <sighs> the Canadian Parachute Battalion was attached to the U.S. Special Forces, an airborne formation, and went into American uniforms. So he's actually not part of British paratroopers. He's part of American paratroopers because oh. that's who the Canadians are aligned with uh, during the Second World well, War. A, a, or at least this battalion to, yeah. was. Yeah. yeah, attached to. They became the first special service force, uh, so first SSF, known to the enemy as the Devil's Brigade. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> Jungle, oh. mountain, amphibious, and ski training followed in Canada. Jungle, mountain, amphibious, and ski, ski training. Ski training. Yeah. <laughs> the ski training was just the the trip, though. That was like their break. <laughs> they were yeah. like, "All right, now we're going to go ski." And now we're gonna go to yeah. I'm really good at apres. sugarloaf. <laughs> I'm really good at apre ski special yeah. service forces, but not so much actual ski. <laughs> uh, and in the U.S., uh, so so they're training in both countries. Early in 1943, when Tommy was briefed for a drop on Japanese who had occupied the small island of Kiska in the Aleutians, he was exultant at the prospect of combat and dejected on the arrival to find that the enemy had withdrawn. So he's Aww. like, I'm super pumped. And then he gets there and they're already gone. And he's like, man. Yeah. And it's also at Come this on. point, like we're in 1943, we're past D-Day and yeah. he still hasn't seen combat yet. Or that's 44. You're right. Sorry. Cut all of that. Almost. Almost. That's okay. <laughs> but we're, like, so wait, we're also in 1943. So he's been serving for three years and he still hasn't seen active combat. So he's got like a lot of anxiety. That and we're getting close to D-Day. We're getting close to D-Day. And yeah. he's just like, what if I never get to see combat? Well, like Aww. there's fighting in North Africa and Italy at that time. Yeah. You know, and so he's like feeling like on the sidelines. Yeah, absolutely. It's Aww. just like, what am I going to do? He's sad boy. So he says, all my life, I had wanted to do something to help my people recover their good name. I wanted to show they were as good as any white man. And now he's fearing that he's never going to get the chance. Oh, buddy. So he's not only like he has a personal goal. He has like this like cultural this weight. weight of like, oh, 
of, of like he's imagining other people's expectations not necessarily like no. truly expectations put all on him yeah. but it's like I've got to show to all these white people that we're like we're just as good as them regardless yeah. of like where we come from yeah you are yeah oh Tommy oh Tommy <laughs> Finally, in 1943, Tommy would get his opportunity to enter active combat. Soon after the capture of Naples by the Allies, Tommy's unit landed in Italy. Germany was holding the Gustav Line, an elaborately fortified defense working hinging on Caniso. Casino? Casino. Casino? In the night attack on Monte Maggio at the stepping stone to Casino, Tommy saw for the first time men riddled by bullets from Bado light machine gun, which fired so fast it sounded like a motorcycle revving. He learned to walk in a crouch whenever he heard mortar softly coughing up nine big bombs, which would flutter through the air with no more sound than the beat of a bird's wing, and then burst around him with a loud bang. Anti-tank mines tossed a four-ton Bren gun carrier. Anti-personnel mines sprung three feet from the ground, exploded, and discharged all around them. Little wooden shoe mines at the touch of a boot would take off a leg, and Tommy had to just press on through all of this. So this is like his first Uh, experience with combat, and it's just like everything. Wow. When he reached the top of the mountain, Tommy was surrounded by staggering comrades and sickly-looking Germans who were jumping out of holes and running away. He let out, uh, in his accounts, he lets out this, like, really big shout because for the first time, he's like, I've finally, like, proven it. Like, he's literally conquered this mountain. And for him, that's, like, he was, like, worth his salt and that, like, all indigenous soldiers, like, were due the same respect as everybody else. But you've also got to feel like... Your whole life you've been told that you're not equal and you're not good enough. So you've got to feel like that's also like just wow. proving to yourself. Right? right? You're like, everything I've always told myself is real. It's like I, I was right all along. Yeah. I've, I've been to Casino. I've, oh, yeah? Yeah. I, I went there. I turned 19 in Italy, actually. Oh, yeah. Well, that's yeah, fun. Uh, mm. Fancy that. Hey? <laughs> So, yeah, he's, like, having this moment on the hill. Um, Over time in the field, he proved superior to all his comrades because of his talent for being silent, swift, and unseen. The the battalion made him the reconnaissance sergeant, so he would crawl out by night toward the enemy, sometimes alone, sometimes with a small patrol, listening to Germans murmuring and estimating their numbers. He would crawl out by day and watch the enemy runners dodging among the olive trees and fix their defensive positions. Before every attack, he would go out to the battalion front and he always came back with information. So sometimes that information would be information that takes like Jeep ambulances. Sometimes it would be to take you to a, 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 just like a safe place for like a hide a radio truck. Right. Um, or it's like a little gully that would that would be great to cover the approach of a platoon. So he also just needs to know like every function of an offensive right because he's like that could be useful that could that's be useful it. That's that could all be useful. he has to know yeah that's it <laughs> that's it, that's it. Nothing, nothing <laughs> sometimes he would just go out for 24 hours with a sniper rifle and just pick off people as much as possible wow. and that was just mostly as like a fear tactic mm-hmm. yeah it's just like because if you know there's a sniper out there it just causes like intense anxiety and yeah. in the other 100%. people. Well, I, I watched a lot of MASH as a child. <laughs> Every season they had like a sniper episode oh, of MASH. a sniper. Yeah. <laughs> One time he was sent out to find an enemy sniper that was harassing his own battalion. And the two wound up engaging in a sniper duel that ended when Tommy hit the German and brought him toppling out of a tree. 
eat. Jesus. However, Tommy is best known for his exploits at the Anzio Beachhead, where he spent 90 days on the line in early 1944. Jesus. So, yeah, you were mentioning, like, D-Day, like D-Day Dodgers. It's just like, yeah, he spent 90 days <laughs> straight. <laughs> wow. And Anzio was, like, notoriously, like, a bungle on the Allied side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, in February 1944, he volunteered to run a communication line 1,400 meters out to an abandoned farmhouse that just sat 200 meters from a German artillery position. He set up an observation post in the farmhouse and for three days reported on German movements via a communication wire. When the wire was severed during shelling, he disguised himself as a peasant farmer and just pretended to be working the land around the farmhouse. He stooped down to tie his shoes fixed and was actually just fixing the wire while the German sh- soldiers just watched oblivious to the fact that this is a soldier. <laughs> so if you're an indigenous Canadian, you can pass off as French, French or Italian or Italian. Holy shit. It just takes a mustache. Just takes a mustache. <laughs> just takes a mustache. <laughs> okay. Then I'm all, mm. What is your mustache modern? done for you, Spencer? A great costume. Great, great costume. A great, great costume. costume. <laughs> Thank you. Or you can tend to be piece. Robert Pattinson. In uh, the movie Lighthouse. Okay. The Lighthouse. Okay. <laughs> at one point, he shook his fist at the Germans. So I was like, okay, Tommy, let's not break character. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's, let's, you know, let's bring it in. Let's reel it in. He's breaking sure. kayfabe here. It's just not going to work. <laughs> but then he also, in a moment of realization, did it at the Allies to pretend he was in disgust was like, with both I of them. I just hate war. Well, yeah. it's just like, y'all ruined my farm. Yeah. Angry peasant farmer move. He's literally Classic. being like, get off my lawn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, crazy krauts, get you off my lawn. You can't with your guns, get off my lawn. <laughs> His actions resulted in the destruction of four German tanks that had been firing on Allied troops. After 48 hours, Tommy returned to the Allied lines. His officer just said to him, you crazy fool, if you'd been taken prisoner in those clothes, you'd have been shot out of hand. <laughs> so it's just like, well... They're not going to pay you any respects just because, yeah. like, you're dressed as a civilian. So if yeah. we're doing the movie, this is a point, like, in a, like, lethal weapon where the sergeant is yelling at him. Being like, you crazy mayor, kid. Yeah. I got the like, mayor breathing down my shoulder. neck. Yeah. I want your badge and gun on my desk by 2 o'clock. And then he turns around and he's like, like but I get yeah, results. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get results, damn it. Do you want the tanks back? <laughs> In France in the summer of 1944, Tommy took part in the seizure of coastal islands. On one occasion with another man, Tommy sneaked through the German front and scouted 15 miles behind the enemy lines. They located the big German biovac area. Bivo- Bivouac. Bivouac. Thank you very much. Bivouac. Bivouac area. They were looking for and they started back to report. On the way, they saw a skirmish taking place between a German platoon and a squad of FFI, so French, uh, yes, free, free French partisans. Nice. The FFI were being encircled by Germans. Tommy and his comrade took up well-concealed positions and began to just pick off Germans from the rear. So they okay. just, like, stumble upon this, like, little skirmish taking place, and they're like, yeah. oh, well, I guess we'll stick around for a while. <laughs> I suppose so. The German platoon commander was concentrating so heavily on the FFI, he never became aware of the two Canadians. Okay. <laughs> the Germans never fired back, so the two Canadians might just as well have been in a shooting gallery. 
like so because they never have a rear position they're just like shooting down <laughs> from behind nice <laughs> great <laughs> eventually the german officer surprised and shaken by the high casualties just withdrew tommy then made contact with the ffi um the ffi officer asked him where's the rest of your company and tommy's like here and he's just pointing at the other private that's just with the him. one it's other like, guy just just us that's where like the bass drop hits right <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's like right here bow, bow, i just bow. imagine the camera well camera i was gonna say no that's where the like to like one other dude yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> see i was thinking that's where like the emotional music hits where he's like oh. it's just us it's just us. and they're like oh no you know it's, it's we're all writing a different kind yeah. of movie yes, yeah, like for, for sure. <laughs> a black comedy uh, a very like moving yeah. war film I, so I'm thinking more like mean? like right here <laughs> like mine's just like it, it's the, the guys like doing the dance at the funeral with the coffin on their shoulders it's just them and it's just this like German commander on the side We're like yeah yeah so I'm so thinking you're, more you're like looking a, at the Mel Brooks version of this yeah and I'm 100%. a few good men you're a few good men <laughs> like I'm a few good men <laughs> An officer and a gentleman, as done yeah. by Linnea. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> it's just me and him. Maybe, yeah, like you guys. Whenever Did you just I need say a ride, an officer and a gentleman? Yeah. So it's going to be like Joe Cocker singing Love Lift Me Up Where We Belong? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Is that kind of like the song Rise Again? Because that's a jam. <laughs> what a bop. Uh, no, it was just a weird movie to bring up. Well, no, because we're... Well, wow, wait a... Wait a... Okay... Let's, it's not like pick on Spencer Day. <laughs> oh, no, actually, that you pick on Spencer Day is tomorrow, but he's getting oh. ready. It's pick on Spencer Day Eve. Oh. <laughs> so the FFI officer is just like, oh, I thought there were like at least 50 of you. And they were like, just these two yeah. So two Canadians equal 50 Frenchmen. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's the math. This is not a math. <laughs> Tommy went back to the Canadian-American lines after that. Almost immediately, Tommy then was set off again uh, at uh, the head of his battalion and led them to clear out the German bivouac. 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 <laughs> It'll never happen. <laughs> Area. Um, before that battle was over, he had covered 50 miles on foot without rest. This trek took place over 72 hours with no food or water. <laughs> The yes. Americans gave him the Silver Star, uh, being him, making him only one of 59 Canadians to receive such an honor. And the French uh, recommended him for the Croix de Guerre. Or Croix de Guerre. Cross of War. Cool. Cool. <laughs> yeah, show it. Silver Star, that's like 59 total, I believe. Oh, ever, oh, ever not just I don't for think the Second just, World War. I don't think that's just Second World War. That oh. might be ever, because that's... That's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's, that's this big This man ups. is highly decorated. <laughs> He's the most decorated Indigenous soldier. Yeah, yep. in Canadian history. Yep. Spoiler! Well, I feel like we were going right. to get there. Aww, we're getting there right now, Linnea. The worst. You <laughs> called it. When the Battle of Southern France was won, Tommy and the rest of, can of the Canadians were detached from the Americans. So they're no longer part of the Devil's Brigade. See they're you like, later, Uncle Sam. They're, yeah, they're, they're separating. They returned to England where Tommy was summoned to an investor at Buckingham Palace to be awarded the Military Medal, only one of three Canadians to be given this honor. King George VI pinned Tommy's medal to his chest, saying, I've seen you before. And Tommy's like, yes, sir, you spoke to me when you inspected my unit in Surrey three years ago. Aww. The king stayed and spoke with Tommy briefly, asking him about his service, as well as where he came from and what life was like back in Manitoba. Tommy remembers that he spoke to me for two minutes, but most others only got about 30 seconds. So he's Ooh. like, 
Well. Well, <laughs> you know. Hair flip. Hair flip. <laughs> Twirl that mustache, Tommy. <laughs> Hell yeah. He would also receive the 1939 uh, to 1945 star, the Italian star, or the Italy star, the France and Germany star, the Defense Medal, the Canadian Volunteer Service Medal with clasp, and the War Medal. Shoot. So, so the man's just like weighed down by all these medals. Decorated. Decorated. Oh, Tommy's a Christmas tree. So after victory in Europe, Tommy volunteered for the Pacific Theater, but he wound up returning to Canada instead because warm Japan was achieved before he was able to head out that way. Yeah. Transitioning back to civilian life was not easy for Tommy, as it was true for many veterans. He found that his home was not the same, and he wound up divorcing from his wife. Oh, he had a wife. Uh, he did have a wife, um, oh. but they don't, like, there's not much about her and, right. like, his life before the war. Right. His father had died while he was overseas Sad. as well, and his dad was, like, a really big part Influence, of his life. Yeah. He made his living cutting wood pulp, so that's his new job. So he's, working at a mill? Yeah, he's kind of gone back to, like, lumberjacking, but, okay. like, not. So oppressive discrimination was once again back in his life. So, like, he's kind of had this brevity while he's yeah. in the military, and he's really proven himself. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that, like... It had totally disappeared from his life, but it was more like his uniform at least was more important than the person inside of it in some ways, which is like also kind of dark. But now he's back in this situation where like race again is like the most important thing about him. And sorry, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, if you were status and you served, didn't you have to forfeit your status at that time? Yeah. Yeah, So if you wanted to see receive veterans benefits, you had to forfeit your status. Hmm. It was a tactic to get indigenous people to forfeit status mm-hmm. yeah. yeah which is yeah so when he applied Some would say it's genocidal oh uh, culturally yeah. systemic <laughs> every, racism every shade of genocide <laughs> yeah. it's a rainbow of genocide yeah there's so many degrees <laughs> they're all bad all so bad when he applied for a game warden's job and was refused on account of his race he was enraged so he can't even get a game warden which would be like literally what he does all the time like like controlling hunting in oh, an area yeah, yeah, yeah. like that would be he would be like the best person and to he do can't that. do like, that no. because he's because indigenous? He's indigenous yeah which is yeah that's a layer of ridiculous um yeah. so as an indigenous man he's not allowed to vote in federal elections uh, what year is this this is in the 40s, uh, 1945. Yeah. yeah, indigenous people can't vote until 1960. Because they're wards of the state yeah. for a long time. If, yeah. if you are a status person, you haven't surrendered your status, then you can't vote until the 60s. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And if you're a woman, you can't vote until the 70s? Is that how it goes with that? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, indigenous it's different woman. for women. I'm not yes, sure yeah. exactly what. Because yeah. my, my aunt is status, and she couldn't vote until that passed. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, like like you were saying, in spite of his wartime service, he's refused uh, the same benefits as other Canadian wow. veterans. Tommy left the reserve after a woman attacked him with a broken bottle at a dance in oh 1946, God. Um, leaving him with facial lacerations requiring 64 stitches. Um, he started a business which briefly prospered. Um, he wound up leaving it in the hands of some friends so he could serve as a spokesman for the Manitoba Indian Association. 
Association, where he lobbied the federal government for changes to be made to the Indian Act. Okay. Before a special parliamentary committee, he complained about white encroachments on game and fishing rights. He asked for grants to indigenous veterans, financial assistance for the establishment of a cooperative indigenous farms, better schools for indigenous children, and more teachers. Following his campaign, he came home to discover that the business he had entrusted to friends had failed in his absence. Um, They had wound up smashing his truck, and the rest of his equipment was just missing. So he basically just stripped his business while he was gone. Oh, my God. Um, And at that point, he went back to working as a lumberjack in a pulp and paper mill, and he also worked at a local cement plant. It's just, I, I I know that it's a known thing. It's like, I know that it's like, you know, racism is awful and yeah. like what but but it's just the way like veterans were treated it's just awful it's just that's so not fair like you yeah. just did this really incredible like brave act of service for your country and that you're multiple countries you for the rest of your life that you're going to carry with you for the rest of your life with and i mean i know now we know more about like ptsd and like traumas yeah. and, and and but i mean well we have language to talk about it, yes. but everyone always knew. Yeah. Like, everyone yeah. always knew that people go away to war and they come, come back, back not messed the up. same. Yeah. Well, back yeah. then it was what, shell shock? Uh, not shell at that time. Uh, World War I. World War I, yeah. that's what we wanted. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah. Have, like, I, I really feel that, like, from the sounds of it, Tommy Prince should have his Heritage Minute not for his wartime service, but for his post-war service. Yeah. I was just going to say that because my film treatment of this... I'm coming at it from a totally different angle. What we just talked about, all the post-war stuff, that would be the story. Yeah. Interspersed with flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Because the man is what is valuable. Yeah. Not his actions. Yeah, hell yeah. So, and that's kind of my takeaway from it, that it's like to focus on how shittily he was treated. We don't, as you said with Michael Caine, don't glorify the war. Yeah. yeah. You know, it just so happened that he was like a Mozart, you know, like just naturally predisposed for this. Yeah. The real story is after the war. Yeah. So and tell that's, me, that's the story that needs to be told. We don't need another war story. Riddle me this. Does it get better? So in early oh. August 1950, oh, no. when the Canadian government appealed for volunteers to fill Canadian Army Special Force to serve in the Korean War, Tommy re-enlisted in the Army immediately okay. and joined the 2nd Battalion. So how old is he right Princess now? He's like Patricia. 35? Um, 50, yeah. So he's in his 30s. He's in his 30s. Yeah. Tommy's previous service provided him with important experience, but had also taken its toll physically, and patrolling in rugged Korean terrain caused him great discomfort. His comrades noticed that Tommy was exhausted, dragging himself up and down hills, um, but with, like, he'd go up with this, like, wooden staff. In October 1951, Tommy was sent home, and he was duly posted to a training position at Camp Borton. So he's like... He's having a really hard time actually serving because he's just, like, physically not capable to do that anymore. Um, But once he's back in Canada, discrimination starts to, like, pop up more in his life again. So, like, that's the reason he went away. But then he's sent back to Canada to serve at a training post. Um, Once at a Halloween event, Tommy chose to present his, like, traditional regalia and demonstrate a traditional dance. Uh So I think it's just kind of like a a talent show almost. Like, it's like a a hall party. Uh And you can come out and, like, do whatever you want. Tommy, like, does the dance, but then he, like, suddenly stops and he, like, walks off the floor and he said that I was getting uh, to the important part and then they just all started laughing. So he felt like they're not 
appreciating what he's doing. Well, especially where dancing such a huge part of your yeah. culture, too. Like. Yeah, and I'm sure, like, it's not like he does this all the time, either. Like, yeah. it's clearly this is, like, a very, like, special moment for well, him. And to drive the point home, being in a war was preferable than being an indigenous man yeah. in Canada. Like, he'd like, rather be overseas. War was the better option. Yeah. A combat zone was a better option than being indigenous yeah. in the country. Soon after, he volunteered for his second tour of Korea in 1952. He was injured again and spent weeks in hospital where he was still recovering when the Korea armistice came into force in 1953, ending the fighting. During two tours of duty in Korea, he won the Korean, Canadi- the Korean, the Canadian Volunteer Service, and United Nations Service Medals. So he's three more medals to his decorations. He returned to Canada and remained in the Army, serving at Winnipeg's Personnel Depot until September 1954 when he was honorably discharged. Tommy still had a strong sense of civic duty and a fierce pride in his people. He dedicated himself to attaining increased educational and economic opportunities for Indigenous peoples. He said, quote, With painfully arthritic knees as a result of the long, harsh conditions during his military service, his job opportunities were limited. Um, He had a new common-law wife at this point, Verna Sinclair, and they had five children together after 1953, and they moved the family back and forth between Winnipeg and the Broken Head Reserve. Coupled with the discrimination against Indigenous peoples, his life became increasingly difficult, ultimately ending in his estrangement from his family. By 1961, he had descended into alcoholism and poverty. He and Verna separated in 1964, and all of their children were placed in foster homes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. That's the movie. (laughs) This is going like Lars von Trier depression. Yeah. Right now. Still, there were always flashes of his innate bravery. In 1955, Tommy made headlines when he saved a man from drowning at the Alexander Docks in Winnipeg. In 1968, a Hollywood movie entitled The Devil's Brigade was released, and it portrayed Tommy and his elite World War II unit. And Tommy was referred to as chief in the movie, of course. (laughs) Let's remake that movie as well. (laughs) Let's do that movie again. (laughs) I know a lot of of veterans of The Devil's Brigade had a lot of problems with that movie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they did. I read the synopsis. It's, uh, yeah, it's questionable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Questionable with a capital Q. Yeah. So throughout the rest of his life, his personal life just keeps deteriorating, and alcoholism begins to, like, really overtake most of his life, uh, resulting in his final years being virtually alone, living in a Salvation Army hostel. Oh, my God. In order to support himself, he sold off his medals, um, though another source said that some of them may have been lost in a fire, um, but it does seem like the vast majority of them were just sold off so he could try and, like, make some change. So Tommy Prince died in 1977 at Winnipeg's Deer Lodge Center, a health care facility specializing in geriatric care and treatment of veterans. And he was interred in the Brookside Cemetery in Winnipeg. So that's sad. But yeah. in 2000, Tommy's lost medals turned up in an auction in London, Ontario. So his family's desire to reacquire them attracted national media attention. On the 10th of August, they won back the medals with a staggering bid of $75,000. They made them pay for it? Yeah, they had to pay for the 
for the auction bid, but it was backed by pledges from Indigenous advocacy groups, the Royal Canadian Legion, and the Veterans Affairs Minister. Um, in November of 2001, his medals were placed on permanent display at the Manitoba Museum of Man and Nature. Now just the Manitoba Museum. Oh, it has, name, yes. it has changed their name. Yeah. Interesting. So since then, Tommy has kind of become a national figurehead. So it's really this story of getting his medals back that repopularizes him and it yeah. reintroduces him to the kind of yeah. the national yeah. pop culture and like uh, history. Um, and so he's been commemorated in many ways since then. Uh, most recently, in June of 2020, a group of Conservative Party uh, members in Parliament um, started a petition and sent a letter to the Finance Minister uh, and the Governor of the Bank of Canada to uh, advocating to display Tommy on the Canadian $5 bill. Wow. So nice. potentially in the future, Tommy could be on our, but our $5 bill. isn't it a shame? Bill. Isn't it a damn shame? that all of this stuff happens after people have like had the struggle and lived the yeah, life absolutely. as like a form of reparation. This is like the thinnest of silver linings. And well, yeah, yeah. And I love how that's like the conservative party is going to be like, see, we love our veterans. Just absolutely. let us, let us <laughs> gut Veterans Affairs Canada again. Again. Yeah. yeah. I was like, let's not pay. Let's let's like love the troops. But not the veterans. Like right. as it's soon so, as you're not serving anymore, it's, it's like it, not our problem. It's the whole like like quote unquote like pro life thing where it's just like yeah. it's just like oh no don't worry like like we're gonna we love life and every child deserves a chance and you know life yeah, starts what about at conception. The Forty million kids in foster care. What happens once you're born? They yeah. don't give a yeah. shit about you. It's the same like, thing. But also, I'm Conserv- not gonna like improve your education. Yeah, we're not yeah. gonna give you a quality of life. No, no, no. Yeah. no. God forbid that. It's same thing with vets. Oh, we love our serving military. We love our vets until you actually go and fight a war for them. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's so that's, that was that's it. Well, so. Um, there's a little bit more. So, t- okay, so Tommy- please tell me some more. <laughs> Tommy Prince's tombstone mentions only two of the 11 medals he earned. Um, and he is one of the most decorated soldiers in Canadian history and the most decorated Indigenous war veteran in Canada. Wow. Aside from his significant li- uh, military contributions to the country, Tommy is also remembered as an Indigenous advocate who fought for equality and Indigenous rights. Hell yeah. Tommy's nephew, uh, Jim Bear, told CBC News in 2020 that he remembers his uncle as a visionary who was in favor of abolishing the Indian Act, something Bear points out as um, we're still trying to change. Yeah. Hell yeah. On February 10th, 2010, it was announced that Canadian actor uh, Adam Beach would portray yeah. the Canadian war hero in the upcoming movie about his life. According to Bay Film Studios, the movie is a true account of Canada's most highly decorated First Nations soldiers. Um, and Beach said that it was like the honor of a lifetime to play That's somebody amazing. like Tommy. He was so. in North of 60. Yes, he was, yeah. <laughs> I think he's like, he's an incredibly <coughs> moving person who like, obviously, yeah, you can like really hone in on his military service, which was extremely commendable. And he probably saved like, countless Canadian and allied lives during the Second World War based on his actions. But it's like the fight doesn't end when he comes home because you see how blatant the racism was that he faced in, not to say veterans are treated well, but to be an Indigenous veteran on top of that is just this whole other category. And he basically dies in absolute obscurity, estranged from his family because we weren't there to help him. Well, yeah. I, that's, that's the, um, the sad 
truth of that is that everyone everyone wants to be on your side when you're winning, right? Yeah. yeah. And everyone wants to be in your corner. And I think after a while, it's like, oh, yeah, but what have you done for me lately, right? Yeah, you know, exactly. He's, he's, yeah. And, um, like, Tommy Prince, I know growing up, like, that was just a name, especially being from Manitoba and being in those parts of the province. Mm-hmm. And that we just knew him. And so it was kind of one of those things that it was so crazy that because that's a later heritage minute too is it's it not one of the 2005 ones they rolled out yeah. for the um commemoration of world war ii and does it am i wrong or doesn't adam beach play him in that heritage minute so that the heritage minute is his funeral yes oh like, it's, funeral. it's that it's one his nephew. they put him back into um into right yeah. Right, yeah. right. Oh, it's that. Okay, I was trying to think of which one it was, but yeah. it's that one. Okay, yeah. I know which exactly I actually, which one that I do one appreciate because it is like, like, like Hunter said, like you could make a super cool, like guns blazing yeah. heritage minute if you wanted to, and it's like clearly they're not opposed to that. Like Osborne yeah. is like that, but um, that's not what it's about. Chicago is like that. Valor Road. Valor Road is yeah. like that. Yeah. So for for them to like really hone in on the fact that it's like. No, he's like yeah. someone that we've recently lost. And, yeah. You know. Okay. So again, thank you so much to uh, Hunter and Spencer from North of Normal for coming to the show today and for entertaining and listening and just being providing present. Yeah, yes. providing insight Spoilers. to this episode. <laughs> uh, and uh, and yeah, just being here with us because you guys are you guys are great and yeah. we just really enjoy collaborating with you. So thanks yeah. so much. Do you guys have any like pluggables like your your links and everything that you want to share with everybody? Maybe like summarize what your podcast is very briefly. Uh, yeah, we're still plugging away in our little corner of the internet. Uh, just recorded an episode before coming here, so uh, still going on. Uh, best places to go: Facebook, uh, North of Normal, and Instagram, North of Normal Pod. I always post what episode we're doing a few days beforehand. So if it's a movie that you haven't seen, you have an opportunity to seek out in various forms to watch it and be up to speed uh, when the episode drops. Awesome. Because Canadian cinema, a lot of people haven't had the opportunity to see a lot of these films, so. Uh, I'd like to give a heads up. Yeah. Hell yeah. Support local culture. Support Canada. local culture. Yeah. yeah. Support Canadian cinema. Maybe we'll get a cool Tommy Prince movie someday and we can come back on the we'll come back on the North and Normal podcast to discuss it. Yeah. <laughs> and Lene and I have some exciting news that we should share. So this episode We have super exciting, super exciting news. news. This episode drops on November fourth. Drops. Boom. Boom. And on November 5th, we are doing our first ever live show. Live show. So we're going to be at Pickford and Black in Halifax. Yep. Starting at 8 p.m. And there are going to be $13 pitchers. I think $15 pitchers, but still an incredible deal that you cannot pass. You cannot. Up. And free cover. No cover. And we get to entertain you. Yeah. And you can like see us do it in person in our awkward selves. What more could you, you want? want? <laughs> I will just say it, it's worth it. Yeah. Um, see the magic happen in person. <laughs> and if push comes to shove, Hunter and I will be there and we'll be yelling things from the back. It'll be great. Perfect. If you have any comments for North or Normal podcast or controversial opinions, you can tell it to their face at yeah. Pickford in Black. Yeah. 
Uh, so yeah, we'd love to see you there. Uh, we'd love to have some support from people who aren't going to like throw food at us or just completely ignore us. We'd like to have some people interested in hearing what we have to there say. There will be security at the door and tomatoes will not be allowed in. Not allowed at no all. No tomatoes are um, allowed into the Also, venue. this is an interesting setup where Grace and myself, Linnea, are both bringing historical topics to the table that aren't Heritage Minutes. Yes. Spoiler. So we're debuting a new thing called uh, Should Have Been a Minute. Yeah. And so, so we're going to both pitch what we think should be Heritage Minutes. I know from my perspective, it's fucking crazy. And let me tell you, yeah, they are wild. wild. <laughs> so uh, it's going to be a really fun time, and we would absolutely love to see you yeah, there. Yeah, so to all you Heligonians, yeah. make the effort come down on Thursday night, November the 5th. 8 p.m. Pickford and Black. Yeah. Minute Women Live. Be there or be a loser. <laughs> That's how that saying goes. <laughs> <laughs> Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, and we love to have your feedback. So please make sure you're following us on all of our social media channels. There you can reach out to us and make comments. And we ask a lot of questions. So we'd love to we'd love to have your feedback and hear from you. On Instagram and Facebook, we are at Minute Women Podcast. And then on Twitter, we are The Minute Women. So, yeah, give us a follow. Keep up to date with all of our fun news. And go get your flu shot. It's flu now season. Now more than ever. Now more than ever. It is time. I've heard that it sucks this year. It's kind of going to make your arm hurt, but it's worth it. It's very important. Do it. Minute Women are advocating going and getting your flu shot. And uh, North of Normal, do you agree? Yes. Okay. Spencer got his today. So. Oh, uh, no, up top. It was, it, was, it, was, uh, it was a week ago now. Oh, but, a week ago now. Okay. No, but it, <laughs> it sucks. But you know what? It's your civic duty. Yeah. Do for Tommy duty. Prince. Do for Tommy. For public health. For public everyone. Health. For everyone. Do it. <laughs> and make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to us on. Make sure you download the episodes. So you can listen to it on the go. And make sure to leave us a review, especially if you are a user of Apple Podcasts. The mythic algorithm of the internet has decided that Apple Podcast listeners are more important than everyone else. That's not how the Minute Women feels, but that is how the internet feels. So please leave us a star Pretty rating. please. Please leave us a little review. Uh, it's the biggest help to us. And also make sure that you just kind of like spread the word and, and share the podcast with all of your friends because word of mouth is the best review. And Thursday, be there. 8 p.m. Pickford and Black. $16 pictures. $15 pictures. <laughs> we'll never get the price right. I'll but get it's it fine. eventually. We promise it's a great deal. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.